God transplanted a family into our church, um, unbeknownst to them and us, that we would have an immediate heart connection with them. Uh, you know, when you have someone of like precious faith, not just in the body, but like precious faith. Well, Pastor Charles Starks and his wife and family, uh, God, was, and they went to all the area churches, and the Lord thankfully picked us for this to be home. And from the first Wednesday where Pastor Charles was in the room, didn't know anyone, he would just interject during our, our discussion, and you could tell there was wisdom coming from deep waters and strong conviction and a sweet sense of God's presence. And he's honoring us today with the preached word. And I asked him to tell us a little bit about that journey because it's so neat. It will speak to their faith, just hearing God say go and don't know where you're going and then you get here. And uh, I think you'll be very encouraged today. Would you welcome my brother, uh, Pastor Charles Starks. Love you, sir. Well, good morning. We're glad to be here this morning in the house of the Lord. Amen. We do honor God this morning, and we do honor our pastors this morning. We're so thankful uh, for you and Kelly. Pastor John, you guys are awesome. You guys, as a church, you have extended so much hospitality towards me and my family. Thank you for your love and just taking us in. Uh, we, we, we recently moved here. As a lot of you already know, we moved here from Nebraska. I'm from Mississippi. My wife is from Texas. Uh, she's a Texas girl. So, um, so we met at seminary, and it wasn't long. We, we were pregnant with Asa, and he was born. And six months later, we headed to Nebraska, far, far north. And we stayed there three and a half years and just uh, did what God told us to do. Uh, we grew so much there. We learned about ourselves. We, well, we, God just really raised us up in ministry, a healthy church there. Um, then we moved back to Texas and came full circle back to Nebraska, and we stayed there roughly about six years, a little bit more than six years. Um, and somewhere in the middle of the last several years, we, were, we had what is called the general council in Orlando the last four years. And um, somewhere in there, God began to break my heart uh, for Georgia. Church planting has always been a, a part of us as a married couple. We felt like for a long time that God was going to uh, use us in that way. And every now and then we would test the waters and had desires to plant churches even in Nebraska, but nothing never really came to fruition. Um, and then uh, the last couple years, God really began to impress on me even more. Okay, it's, it's, I'm, I'm getting ready to transition you. I'm getting ready to do something in your life. And I began to feel a little bit uncomfortable. And I, finally, I, I built up the nerves when God said, I want you to pack your family up and move to Georgia. I built up the nerves to tell my wife. <laughs> it, <laughs> If you know my wife, she is one of those kind of nonsense kind of people. If she's, she's not wanting to hear, well, baby, it's just I'm tired of this, I'm tired of that, and God never been mentioned in the conversation. But the moment I said I felt like God has spoken to me, and he's wanting us to move to Georgia, you, you have to understand we, uh, our roots are deep in Nebraska, that's where two of our children were born. 
That's where um, we were licensed and ordained with the Assemblies of God. During that time, I was serving as a presbyter, which would have been a, a leader within um, a section of, uh, of the district there in Nebraska. And Adrian served as well uh, in leadership within a district. And God is asking us to pack up everything that is familiar to us and move to a place where we know no one. Only God will do that. And today I'm thankful that, you know, we're here in a healthy church under great leadership. I don't think we could have landed any better place. Amen? Amen. And so we're thankful for the authenticity of Pastor John and, and Pastor Kelly. Thank you guys for being who you are. Don't let anybody change that in you. We love you guys and appreciate you. If you will, go with me to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2. We don't have a whole lot of time left. I want to hit the high points of this message. And I'm going to ask you a question. Where is Levi? Where's Levi? We're looking at verses 13 through 17. It says, he went out again by the seaside, and the whole crowd came to him, and he taught them. As he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's station, And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. As Jesus was at supper in his house, many tax collectors and sinners also sat together with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many, and they followed him. When the scribes and Pharisees saw him eating with tax collectors and sinners, they said to his disciples, how is it that he eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I want to make a note. It is interesting that the word Mark uses here, sick, The word sick, it comes from the Greek word. I'm gonna I'm gonna destroy this word. (laughs) Kakos, which means bad or evil. Jesus goes on to say, I came not to call the righteous, but the but sinners to repentance. Let's go to God in prayer this morning. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. We ask you, God, first of all, that you will quieten me, Lord God. Help me to say exactly what you want me to say. Hide me behind your cross so that no flesh will glory in your presence. And speak to our hearts in this church today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. In our text this morning, Jesus is in the city of Capernaum. And it is important to note that his popularity has grown significantly. People have come from all around to see him. On one side, there are the broken and the hurting, and on the other side, there's the Pharisees, the religious leaders. Throughout the years of ministry, 
Adrian and I have experienced some really amazing times in ministry, and we have seen God do some unimaginable things. And on the flip side, there has been some darker seasons, some rough times, some rough waters, some difficult moments. One of the key things that I want to drive home to you this morning is that Whoever desires to be fully connected and committed to serving in the kingdom of God with your life, I want you to note this morning, there will be conflict. Why? Because we're dealing with people and their brokenness and their sinfulness, and we're dealing with an enemy of God, the one that hates the very thought of God, and especially his people as we live out the mandate and the call of God that is on our lives. Can I get an amen? Amen. Earlier in Mark's gospel, we learned that the religious leaders were already offended by Jesus' actions in Mark chapter 2, verses 5 through 12. In those verses, Jesus made it known that he was God in the flesh. What an awesome pronouncement! What a bold pronouncement of Jesus walking on the scene in ancient Palestine and making a declaration, a proclamation that he is God. You talk about a general in charge, a man in authority who walked in the middle of people that that didn't know him, that could care less about him, and he made a declaration that I am God in the flesh. And he said that I am the only one that possesses power to heal and to forgive sin. And now the Jewish leaders are watching, and they're trying to find a flaw in him. They're looking for an opportunity. But I want you to note something about Jesus. He, he could have allowed the conflict of Mark 2, 5 through 12 to hinder him from reaching Mark 2, 13 through 17. I want you to make a note this morning. Don't allow the conflict. Don't allow the trials. Don't allow the test nor the temptation to hinder you from getting to where God wants you to be. The devil is on the rise. He is on the attack, and he is wanting to try to hinder the church of the Lord Jesus Christ from moving forward. Don't let him do it. And now the Jewish leaders, they're watching Jesus. They, they want to they, they see what he's going to do. And, and on one hand, I, I empathize with the scribes and the religious leaders because it was their duty to preserve and hold up and proclaim what the Scriptures had to say. It was their responsibility. They were the official scholars of the oral and written law and the instructors and interpreters of it, according to Mark chapter 1 and 22. They they, they were to preserve the Scriptures by copying it carefully and accurately. I have to wonder, how many times do we find ourselves here? Good question, isn't it? How many times throughout life we find ourselves in conflict with God and his word? I'm not only human in this place. 
Because there's a war going on, right, against the flesh and the spirit. How often do we find ourselves here? I don't care how long you've been saved. I don't care how many times you've spoken in tongues and interpret them or whatever the case may be. I don't care how many miracles you've seen. I don't care how many hands you've laid on people. Every single one of us find ourselves here at a time and uh, sometime in our life. How many times have we read God's word, knew what God's word says and how to apply it, but fail to do God's word? They knew Jesus was no ordinary Israelite. They had seen his healing miracles. They had heard him, they had heard him forgive sins, and they had witnessed his power to cast out evil spirits. The works of Jesus disturbed them greatly. Their authority was thrown into question. Their prestige and influence among the people was upset. Their agenda for preparing Israel for its Messiah conflicted with Jesus and his kingdom. Their interpretation of Israel's law was threatened. According to the law, they had caught Jesus blatantly disobeying the law by hanging with sinners and eating with impure hands and uh, from impure dishes with impure people. They felt in their hearts that there is no way he could be from God. Their assumptions prevented them from seeing what was really going on. God was not interested in the outward appearances. He was interested in cleansing the hearts, and that is the business of the kingdom. God is interested in the heart. Sometimes we allow the outward appearance to hinder what is truly going on in the heart. There are some broken and hurting people in Macon. Can I get an amen? Help us, Lord, we landed, I don't know where. We landed where people need Jesus. Woo, help us, Jesus. Jesus was coming into contact with sinners, but instead of sinners making him unclean, he was making them clean. Uh, From this passage of Scripture, we see God's grace in action in the life of Jesus. He is our leading example. And as the church, we must be careful that we don't allow God's allowance of grace to a broken world to make us uncomfortable, overwhelmed, angry, vindictive and intolerant of those that Christ came to redeem. Can I get an amen? Amen. Let our our hearts and let our minds be like Christ. Let us have his passion to reach the least, the last, and the lost within this world. When I look at the mass majority of churches nowadays, how often do we emulate the mind of the scribes and the Pharisees? and not the mind of Christ. Am am I preaching to you today? I want to challenge us today. How often do we find ourselves debating over this doctrine, this system, and way of doing things, and miss the bigger picture of what God is expecting from us? How often do we twist God's Word to make it say what we want it to say? 
In, in essence, the Pharisees missed the bigger picture and formed an external inherit, uh, adherence to the letter of the law, but not its spirit, and failed to adopt the weightier matters of the law, which is truth and mercy. And I want you to note something. When there is no truth and mercy, we tend to look over Levi. When there's no truth, when there's no mercy, we tend to look over Levi. In our text this morning, it says, as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Aphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's station in the midst of the crowd. On a busy day, Jesus saw Levi. Think about that. In the midst of a busy day with a large crowd pressing on him, wanting something from him, Jesus saw Levi out of all of those people. Jesus saw the lady with the issue of blood out of all those people. Jesus saw Peter out of all of those people. Jesus saw Paul out of all of those people. And Jesus see you right where you are at today. Capernaum alone was a busy place because it was a route between the east and the west. A lot of trade traffic passed through the town. Taxes were collected on everything that passed through the town. Taxes also would have been charged against the fish that were caught on the Sea of Galilee. Levi probably collected taxes from Peter, James, John, and Andrew. Can you imagine when they see him like, dude, Jesus is calling this guy out? He's overcharging us. He's supposed to be one of us. And he's overcharging us. Aren't we like that as the church? Man, they don't look like us. They don't think like us. They don't talk like us. I don't want no part of that. I want to impress upon you today that you got the power of the Holy Spirit. Greater is the God that is in you than the devil that is in this world. Let the Spirit of God rub off you and on to someone else. Can I get an amen in the house of God today? The point that I want to make is that out of all the people... That Jesus could have stopped and talked to so intimately within our text. Why Levi? Levi was a tax collector. Levi worked for the Roman government. He was among the most despised people in Israel. He was viewed as a traitor to his people and to his nation. As a tax collector, he would not have been allowed to go to the temple or the synagogues. He was a social outcast who could only socialize with the tax collectors and rank sinners. That's Levi. He probably felt like an outcast. He was hated by most Jewish people. I would assume that Levi's parents were disappointed at him. 
Surely Levi should have been a priest. Surely he should have been a scribe writing down all of the stuff that pertained to God and remembering that and copying that and preserving that. But Levi wasn't. Levi went the opposite of what his parents probably felt like he should have gone. And there are many people that have gone away. You may be kin to, maybe your relatives and maybe your friends and maybe your co-workers and they're going down a path that you didn't think they should go. But I'm reminded about the problem. Son, listen, the father never stopped loving that son. We got some prodigals in here today, I'm sure, that have been called back into the kingdom of God. And as Jesus passed by, he issued a simple command to Levi, follow me. He, he didn't say, you rank sinner, take off, take off your, 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 your tax collector's clothes. To stop hanging out with this person or that person. He simply said, come and follow me. One of the things that we want in the church is a quick fix. And we fail to disciple people. How, how often do we invite those that are without the Spirit of God, a relationship with God into our lives so that we can be the greater influence in our lives. And as parents, we need to do that with our children. Stop pawning our children off on this thing or that thing and start investing in our children. He said, follow me. It literally means be following me. This is a present progressive tense command that Jesus is giving to Levi. He wanted Levi to leave his old way of living and to start a new life with him. I'm reminded of Elijah. Somebody in here might need to burn their plows and kill the ox and have a feast because you're not turning back. I want to ask you a question again. Where is Levi? Guys, why did Jesus choose Levi? When in reality, there were others more qualified. At the risk of reputation and career sabotage, Jesus took in this broken and messed up man and made a message out of his life. Jesus came in and took this broken, messed up man and made a message out of his life. And listen, those who have been forgiven much, loves much. You want to know why I am in Georgia? Because God called me to. I am reminded of where God brought me from and where he has taken me to. He has secured me. I'm held in his hands. I am called by his name. Regardless of a title, I have the words of eternal life in my mouth. Out of my belly shall flow rivers of living water. And I'm glad that Jesus is still calling broken and hurting and lost people out of darkness and into a saving relationship with him. I am glad that he has left the door open for whosoever will. And none of us, no one is beyond the reach of being redeemed. Levi's life looked hopeless And not even his parents could help. As pastors, Adrian and I have counseled 
with parents whose children are living a wayward life. And there are moments that you feel like giving up. I challenge you not to give up, but to give them to Jesus. Uh, One word from Jesus and Levi's life was changed forever. The Lord knows where your lost loved ones are and what it will take to reach them. Never give up in this, in his time and in his own way, he would touch them for his glory. I am the product of a praying mama. My mama prayed for me. I went from being a drug-dealing, gang-banging thug to a preacher of the gospel. I'll never forget. Listen, hear what I'm saying today. I'll never forget. I'll never forget my cousin who had gone to jail and was radically saved and baptized in the Holy Spirit in jail, came out of jail preaching the gospel, and I looked at him in his face. I said, you have lost your mind. He did. He lost his mind and found the mind of Christ. (laughs) I was the crazy one. The gospel was foolishness to me, according to 1 Corinthians around the second chapter, 17 verse or so. But God got a hold of me at what is called the Brownsville Revival in Pensacola and set my life on fire fire for him, changed the trajectory of my life, and my life has not been the same since God found Levi, and I was Levi. God wants us to see the value in others, even when their lives consist of doing invaluable things. Jesus saw something in Levi that no one else could see. One encounter with Jesus can change the worst of sinners. Where are you at today? One thing about Jesus I've learned when you look in Scripture, that when Jesus changes a life, he's wanting intimacy. He's wanting intimacy. He's wanting fellowship. He's wanting to commune with you, just like he did in the garden. The same God, the incarnate Christ, is wanting to commune with you. He's wanting intimate fellowship. The, the Bible tells us in verse 15, as Jesus was at supper in the house, speaking to, in Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners sat together with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many, and they followed him. I don't know about you, but at every party that I have ever attended, there are typically multiple groups of people. And I'm saved and filled with the Spirit. There are your sitters, there are your standers, and there are your partiers. And there are those that are truly enjoying themselves. And there are those that wish that they were never invited. At this party, you have the Pharisees, you have Jesus' disciples, you have Levi, all kinds of people. Can you imagine? Picture this with me. Uh, the, the Pharisees, you could tell they're over there probably playing the wall, just looking like, yeah, what's going on here? You got Levi over there, he's just over there dancing like, yeah, yeah, excited. 
Can I ask you a question? Where would you be in the party? What group would you be in? What would be your thoughts as this diverse group of people are meeting together? I want you to look around. What are your thoughts this morning at this diverse group of people that are meeting today? What are your thoughts about that person that may not look like you, that may not be dressed like you? What are your thoughts about that? These are real issues that we have to face in the church today. Unfortunately, we should be a lot further along down the road than where we are. We, we, we look at what she's wearing. We, we look at the person who probably just came off of Saturday nights drunk and they're finally darkening the doors of the church and we see the redness in their eyes and we think like, why are you here? What better place they could be than in the house of the Lord? I don't care who's at the party. Jesus is at the party. I show up to the party because Jesus is there. And the sole reason Jesus was at the party was because Eli, Levi, had invited him. He was at Levi's house, the tax collector. No doubt Levi probably was a very wealthy man. He probably had it all together on the outside. But Jesus seen past the outside appearance, and he was looking at Levi's heart. Where transformation would take place. See, meeting with Jesus would do that to you. When we look at the demoniac and the Gadarenes, we see that his life was changed forever. So I get ready to close this message today. I want you to look around the room and, and I want you to look for Levi. Levi might be you. Can we get the piano player to come? Let's get ready to call. May the Lord help us to become more like Jesus. May he give us a heart to win the lost at any cost. May he help us to go to the lost where they are and take the gospel to them so that they may be reached for Jesus. First Corinthians 9, 20 through 22, Paul says to the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside of the law. Of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save one. Let that be our heart's cry. 
Let that be our desperation to see people want to Jesus. Can I ask you that question again? Where is Levi? In our text, Levi's dead smack in the middle of the party. He's caught in the middle of the opinion that Jesus had for him and the opinion the scribes and Pharisees had for him. I have noticed in life, not everyone is thrilled when you try to better yourself. Instead of celebrating you, they become bitter at you. The religious leaders in our conversation today use Levi's conversion as an opportunity to attack Jesus. They were so busy observing the Mosaic law rather than living the Mosaic law. They were too busy observing their oral traditions and moral codes rather than following the two greatest commands to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your minds and love your neighbor as yourself. They would never have been caught dead with a bunch of tax collectors and uh, sinners, but Jesus did. In Mark 2 and 17, as we get ready to close, Jesus says, those who are well have no need. Those Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. In essence, what Jesus is saying to his naysayers, I am a doctor and my mission is to heal sick people. So it would have been absurd for me not to do what my profession demands. God called the church to be a hospital. He called us to minister to the lost world around us. And I want to remind us as we close the service today, and as I call pastor up here in just a moment, you too once were dead in your sins and had to be called. I I prayed that there would be a day where the sinner man feels comfortable coming to faith in God right here amongst God's people. I pray for a day that he doesn't, she doesn't feel condemned. I pray for a day that she is, she is like the lady mentioned in scripture. The Pharisees and the religious leaders are there and she just comes in and she moves through the crowd and she begins to worship Jesus at his feet. I, I pray for a day when people, we see them by the droves coming into Christ Chapel Macon where they're just broken and they're hurting, but they know where to find help. They know how to fall at the feet of Jesus. And I pray for a day that we won't sit back and be spectators, but we'll be participators and we'll hold our hands up and pray the prayer of faith over these people so that they will be saved according to Romans chapter 10. In verse 9. Pastor, if you'll come, it says, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Where is Levi? Can someone say amen?
you're here this morning and you know that you're not right with God, you know, you might not understand all that the gospel is, but there's that inner knowing that we're not it. We're not there. Our heart condemns us. Our past condemns us. Our conscience, our memory. And there's nothing really that a a person can do to merit salvation. The Bible says that we're dead in our trespasses and sins. But when the gospel is preached to you, it's first bad news, and then it's good news. And the bad news is, the judgment of God is already upon your life. There's nothing you can do. And you say, then then what can I do if there's nothing I can do? You can call on the name of the Lord to do that which you cannot do. And He doesn't give you a set of rules. He gives you life. He exchanges His life for yours. Um, His covering for your nakedness. And He imparts that to you. So, can we just cast the net here? Would you just bow your heads with me? not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to ask you to come to the front today. There will come a day where you make a public profession of faith. You say, John, I, I just don't think I'm right with God. Or you might say, I know I'm not right with God. And do you think instead of Levi, he might be calling my name today? Just in case, I'm going to answer back. Save me, Lord, I pray. I'm a sinner, and I'm unable to save myself. But you said that whoever came to you, you would turn no one away. And today, I come. If that's you, I want you just to slip your hand up and hold it. God bless you. Hold it. God bless you. God bless you. church family would you stand with me this morning those that prayed according to the scripture if your heart is sincere your name was written in the lamb's book of life can we give the lord thanks for that today for them is is well, what i do from now you just live with the lord and just like a little new infant you got to get your land legs and such but once you're his he, he can handle the rest. Might I add one sentence, one f- statement, really, and then I want to ask Pastor Charles if you and your bride would come up in just a moment. To, I would like you to pray for us, Adrian. She, too, is an ordained minister, uh, as, as a, a preacher, teacher. She's just like him. They're fireballs, man, so I want her to pray. 27 years, 28, somewhere around there, we have had seasons of great growth a lot of salvations. And then you have dormant seasons. I, I just submit this to you. If we're not bringing them to the gospel or the gospel to them, how are we ever going to do the work of the Lord? You bring them to the gospel or the gospel to them. There's a soul winner's crown waiting in heaven for the one that sees Levi and does something about it. Charles, would you bring your bride? And I just wanted to ask her to close us. We love your family. Would y'all bless them? We're so grateful the Lord sent you here.
And I know I've told you all this privately, but I want to say it publicly. Whether it's months or years, when it comes time to start this church, we got their back, don't we? We're going to help you. Give you my word. Father God, by your spirit, I lift up every one of those that raised their hands in response to coming to dinner with you. God, I pray that by your spirit, you would begin to draw them to your word, draw them into fellowship in this church, draw them to other believers, draw them out of the things that have held them back. Got to pray for each one that made that commitment today. Lord, that they would come and speak to the pastor, that they would be baptized in water, filled with your spirit to the overflow, that they would become preachers and pastors and teachers and missionaries, even on their jobs, God. God, and for each one of us that have been walking with you, that we would leave this place looking for Levi. We would become investors in other people's lives. Holy Spirit, in song and in prayer, we invited you into this place today, not in vain. Would you fill each one of us to the overflow by your Spirit, that we would see things that we would see things and seek the things that would bring you glory and fill up your kingdom. May we walk in the power of your spirit when we leave this place and every day to come. God, would you place a special blessing on Pastor John and Kelly, on the children's pastors, the Bilslands, on the youth pastors, the Weeks, and all the other staff members in this church. Jason and his sweet wife, Amanda. Lord, would you put your blessings on them? Lord, I know that we can ask for the things that we need, but we can also pronounce blessings in Jesus' mighty and holy name. And I pronounce blessing on this church and every person that is holding it up. For every elder and every elder's wife. For every Bible teacher. And for every member, God, that this year would be different. Blessed by your spirit. Blessed when we come. Blessed when we go. Blessed in the field. Blessed in the city. Not for our glory, but for yours. In Jesus' mighty and holy name I pray. Amen. All right. Praise the Lord. Final statement. You know how it is when you get a, a, a Kelly just, for those that you know, got her a truck. She come in the, my room the other day. She goes, I want a truck. And you know, if you get a new car or a truck, you've got the Ford F-250 now. Did you know you see them everywhere now? Anybody else, you get an Altima or a Cord? You see them everywhere. You know what happens when you hear a sermon like this? You're going to see Levi everywhere. Make sure you talk to him. God bless you.